When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, everybody, this is the Daily DC Impeachment Watch. Every weeknight, we've got you covered with up-to-the-minute reporting and analysis into this historic inquiry. I'm Zach Wolf, a senior writer here at CNN and the publisher of CNN's Impeachment Watch newsletter, which you can subscribe to at CNN.com slash impeachment. Please do. It's very good. We do it about once a day, although if there's breaking news, we'll bring you that too. Today, however, on the podcast, I'm filling in for regular host David Chalian. We're headed into an extremely busy week. Eight people are set to testify in the days ahead, including EU Ambassador Gordon Sondland on Wednesday. Meanwhile, over the past weekend, lawmakers heard from an Office of Management and Budget official, and Tim Morrison's transcript was released to the public. Morrison was Trump's top Russia advisor, and he directly linked Sondland and Trump in his closed-door deposition Trump also lashed out at one of the officials appearing before Congress this week. This is all to say there is lots to discuss today, and I've got two guests to help me make sense of it all. In a few minutes, we'll be talking with Michael Zeldin, a CNN legal analyst and former DOJ official. But first, I'm joined by CNN senior national correspondent Alex Marquardt. Welcome to the podcast, Alex. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. You and I were talking before this podcast about some of the testimony that's coming up this week. This is the second week of public testimony where Democrats sort of bring to the public all of this testimony they had been getting behind closed doors. Uh, the I, I, I think it's the third hearing on Tuesday with the two people who will first the public will first hear from who were on the July 25th call. They listened in in real time as President Trump pressured uh, the Ukrainian president, Vladimir Zelensky, uh, to investigate both the 2016 election and the Bidens. And these two people, none of us had heard of them before two weeks ago. Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, he's on the NSC staff, the National Security Council. He's their Ukraine expert. And then Jennifer Williams. And you were talking specifically about her. Why is she so important to this? Well, because specifically they were on that phone call. These are uh, apolitical detailees to the National Security Council. Vinman comes from the Department of Defense. He's a lieutenant colonel in the Army. Uh, Jennifer Williams comes from the State Department. She is a senior aide in, in Vice President Mike Pence's office. And they were both on the call. And um, they're a little bit different in uh, in terms of their reaction to the call. Jennifer Williams, uh, who the president attacked on Twitter yesterday, calling her a never Trumper, uh, even though there's there's no evidence of that. Um, she said uh, that her reaction to the call was that it was unusual and inappropriate. That, of course, is a reference to what President Trump had asked President Zelensky on the call to do, and that was investigate the Bidens uh, and 2016 uh, election interference. She didn't go too much farther than that. Um, but Alexander Vindman, um, he was profoundly disturbed by what he heard on the call um, and prior to the call. And on, there was a July 10th meeting that we haven't talked about enough, I don't think, in which uh, the Ukrainians were told at the White House 
uh, that they would have to promise these investigations. And that was by the, uh, the ambassador to the EU, Gordon Sondland. Um, he stormed out of that meeting and went right to the NSC lawyers. Vin Vinman did. He did the same thing after the July 25th call. Um, he went straight to John Eisenberg, who's the top lawyer at the NSC. So these are going to be two uh, people who have dedicated their lives uh, to the country uh, from the Defense Department and the State Department who were disturbed by what they heard on that July 25th call when the president asked President Zelensky for a favor. So Vinman, interestingly, makes a point of saying he's not the whistleblower in his closed-door testimony, but he is somebody who clearly clearly made real-time concerns known. Uh, you know, after the July 10th meeting, uh, which if you talk to Gordon Sondland, it was no big deal. But if you talk to um, Alexander Vindman, uh, it sounds like a very big deal and very tense. Uh, Jennifer Williams, on the other hand, she's not as willing a witness. She seems almost reticent to come forward with, you know, with her concerns. Yeah. So her technical title is special advisor to the vice president on Europe and Russia. So that encapsulates Russia, of course, but as well as Ukraine and the rest of Europe. Um, she has had an, a number of assignments over the course of her career uh, in the Middle East, as well as in Europe. She came to the vice president's office uh, from London. Um, and so she was on this call, and she was on the call prior on April 21st when the president called President Zelensky to to congratulate him. And so the reason that she's so interesting is because we've been trying to get to the bottom of what did Vice President Pence know when? Uh, we know uh, what what the president knew. We knew what he was pushing uh, and what his associates uh, were doing. But very little is known about what the vice president actually knew. He was not on that call. Um, we know from Williams that she took the transcript of that call and put it into his binder on July 25th. We don't know whether he read it. We've heard from sources inside the White House that Vice President Pence kept his nose clean, as far as we know, that he did not get involved in this quid pro quo. He did not uh, talk to the Ukrainians about um, the, the, the need for them to start these investigations. Uh, but he was asked, the vice president, uh, by President Zelensky, where this aid was when they met on September 1st in Warsaw. Um, so what Democrats are going to be looking to do with Williams when she testifies is in part to find out what the vice president knew, how close he was uh, to this quid pro quo. But so far, uh, from what we've seen both uh, from or both heard from sources and also seen in Williams' transcript, uh, from her testimony last week, uh, is that the, the the vice president kept his distance uh, from this whole affair. I think it's interesting. Jennifer Williams is not, uh, you know, excited to testify, I think, to say the least. That's pretty clear, sort of an unwilling witness. Uh, and yet the vice president's office has sort of put her at arm's length at this point. They distance themselves from her um, and President Trump attacks her. So it doesn't matter if you want to be you know, put in opposition to President Trump in this. If you are testifying, if you are agreeing to testify, you are classified as an enemy, essentially, I think, at the White House. Right. And and it is absolutely fair to say that she's a reluctant witness. And uh, the hope, I think, uh, I have heard from those close to her is that most of the fire from the Democrats will be pointed at Alexander Vindman or the questions will go towards Alexander Vindman. Uh, but Vice President Mike Pence's office has not uh, rushed to defend Jennifer Williams. They have made clear uh, that she is a detailee from the State Department and that she is not on staff. So there is no defense that we have heard uh, by Jennifer Williams, who, again, uh, said that what she heard on the July 25th call was inappropriate. 
Well, Alex, we were supposed to get through the entire week of testimony, but we're about done with this block, and we only did the first day. Actually, the morning on the first day, because in that afternoon, we hear from Kurt Volker, one of the three amigos. We hear from Tim Morrison, uh, who took over for Fiona Hill as the top Russia expert at the White House. But just let's fast forward really quick to Wednesday uh, in the in the morning. We're going to hear from Gordon Sondland, and this is maybe the key piece of testimony we will probably hear this week. Uh, he had his memory jogged you'll recall, so that he remembered um, some new details, specifically one of which is uh, delivering an ultimatum to Ukrainians. And then subsequent to having his memory jogged the first time, there's new testimony from uh, people in the Ukrainian embassy that he had a phone call with President Trump at a restaurant in Ukraine where he talked about the investigations, or at least that's what people heard. He is actually, he is absolutely the most pivotal witness uh, in this week's uh, eight who are going to show up in front of Congress. And that is because the Republican defense of the president and uh, is that everything that we have heard so far is just hearsay, people who are not direct directly talking to the president. Here we have Sondland, who was one of the main envoys on Ukraine, someone who we now know uh, was speaking uh, directly to the president. And and one of the most blockbuster revelations came on Friday when uh, that diplomat in Kiev that you mentioned, his name is David Holmes, uh, he was a political attache. He said he overheard on July 26th, the day after that infamous July 25th call, a conversation in a restaurant on a cell phone between Gordon Sondland and the president. And the, the president was speaking so loudly that Gordon Sondland had to hold the phone away from him. And when and what Holmes heard, he said, uh, was the president asking about investigations, whether the Ukrainians were going to go through with it. Sondland responded that, yes, they will, they will that Zelensky will do anything you, President Trump, wants. Uh, and then what's really incredible is when Sondland hung up, Holmes asked Sondland, what does the president feel about uh, Ukraine? And Sondland responded that he doesn't give a blank, that all he cares is about the big stuff, uh, which included the investigations into the Biden. So here we have someone yeah. who speaks directly to the president. The big stuff is, uh, you know, st- stuff that helps Trump politically, essentially. And that later in the week, then we hear from Defense Department officials uh, and State Department officials about how the money got held up. We'll leave that um, for next time. Alex. We've got plenty more to discuss today. However, we're going to bring in legal scholar Michael Zeldin. He's joining the conversation. But first, this quick break. Welcome back to the Daily DC Impeachment Watch. I am Zach Wolf. Alex Marquardt is still with me, and we're pleased to welcome CNN legal analyst Michael Zeldin. Thanks for joining us, Michael. My pleasure. Um, two things kind of interesting happened this morning. Number one, uh, responding to Nancy Pelosi from over the weekend, Donald Trump, President Trump, suggested that he could be uh, willing to testify or at least to give written testimony to the impeachment inquiry, he said, essentially to move it along so that Democrats could get something done for the country. That's thing thing one. Thing two is that House Democrats made clear that they're investigating now Donald Trump and whether he uh, lied to Congress, essentially, uh, as part of the Mueller investigation when he offered written testimony or answered questions 
uh, in writing for Robert Mueller. And this is part of um, their uh, lawsuit to get a hold of grand jury uh, documents and testimony from the Mueller investigation. This now ties into the impeachment investigation. It's all mashing together. But these two things uh, about Donald Trump and testifying before Congress, which would be pretty much unprecedented, I think. Um, And number two, uh, you know, this idea that he may have said something that was incorrect about WikiLeaks and what he knew to Robert Mueller. What is going on with those two things in your mind? So the first thing that comes to mind is my expectation of his qualified offer to potentially offer written testimony was not something that he cleared with his lawyers and that his lawyers are going to be saying, excuse me, but we don't want to do that. Thank you, Mr. President. Well, he didn't say he was going to do it. He said he's thinking about it. Exactly. But I expect he's thinking about it without having first consulted his lawyers, because I don't think his lawyers would want him to be offering written testimony. So I think that's more of a, you know, sort of a hypothetical offer than it is a real offer. Second, with respect to Mueller, the the question and answer that has been uh, raised as a possibility that the president offered false testimony before Mueller in his written statements relate to whether or not he recalled conversations between himself and members of his campaign who themselves may have been interfacing with WikiLeaks or whether he had any direct contact with a representative of of WikiLeaks. And the thing I forgot to mention is Roger Stone found guilty on Friday uh, essentially of trying to sabotage a congressional investigation uh, with regard to to WikiLeaks. Right. So if, so the lawyer in me says, if the question is asked, did you have any contacts with a representative of WikiLeaks, he can answer no to that because none of the people who alleged, allegedly told him anything about WikiLeaks would definitionally meet the term representative of WikiLeaks. If he had to have spoken, he would have had to have spoken to Julian Assange, essentially, uh, for that question to be a lie uh, the way he answered it. Now, with request, with respect to the question of whether or not his failure to recall whether he had conversations with anyone on his campaign right, related to WikiLeaks. Say, he didn't say no. He said, I don't recall talking to anybody. I don't recall is what his answer was. And that's a smart legal answer. And my expectation is that the documentation that was presented by the White House to Mueller contains no indication that the president spoke to anybody on his campaign about WikiLeaks. And so he has the opportunity to come back and say, well, now that you've refreshed my recollection, yes, indeed, I remember speaking to Roger Stone in the car and it was overheard by whomever. So I think that it's a very difficult prosecution to make. However, the appearance that the president is unaware of his interest, his own interest, which he, on the campaign trail, repeatedly touted WikiLeaks. I love WikiLeaks. Russia, if you're hearing me, please release her emails. All is WikiLeaks-centric, in a sense. It sort of strains credulity to think that he didn't remember this stuff. But as I said, when you ask a lawyer whether or not this is actionable as a law case, I think it's probably not. What about this... uh offer, so to speak, that he would be willing to also testify in Congress uh, in the impeachment inquiry, which actually got a laugh uh, last week uh, during one of the hearings when when Peter Welch, Congressman Welch, a Democrat, brought it up and said he would be most welcome to sit down. Is that another one of the, uh, the these instances of the, of the president just floating something for the sake of it that pro- almost certainly won't happen? Well, my recollection of that um, Q&A was the Republicans were saying the person who has firsthand knowledge 
the whistleblower, a person who they at first accused of having only secondhand knowledge, but now all of a sudden he has firsthand knowledge. They said the person that we want to hear most from is the whistleblower because he knows the most. And then Welch said, well, actually, the person who knows the most is the president, and he's welcome right. to come here right. anytime he wants. And that's what right. drew the, la- the laugh. And my expectation is that the the likelihood of the president showing up in person and raising his right hand to swear to tell the truth before that committee is not likely. So you've told us about the importance uh, in lawyering uh, somebody like President Trump to give yourself wiggle room in in testimony. I, I don't recall, as opposed to I don't, or as as opposed to no. Uh, we have somebody. We have a real life example coming up with Gordon Sondland, who actually didn't recall uh, some very important things with regard to the impeachment inquiry. He had his memory jogged at least one time, uh, and then subsequent to that, we found out new information that uh, about his call. You know, the very loud telephone call in the Ukraine. Ukrainian restaurant with President Trump. So I I guess the question is, is somebody like that in more legal jeopardy or in some sort of legal jeopardy for his the the way he addressed Congress and then had to completely change his story about whether or not there was some sort of ultimatum uh, to the Ukrainians for military aid? Right. So Sondland says, I don't recall. Then other witnesses testified to his direct involvement in the thing that he didn't recall. And then he corrects the record and says, that refreshed my recollection, I now recall, and my testimony is consistent with those others. In respect of the Holmes telephone call that was overheard that Alex talked about, he was not really directly asked that question and didn't exactly uh, give a denial of, of, of that call. So he too has room now, when he testifies again, to elaborate on his prior testimony, which I expect that he will do. I, I, I expect that He is not going to have memory failures like he did in the closed-door testimony because there's too much other evidence out there which links him to this information that if he were to not recall under those circumstances, it probably would be seen as a false statement, and you can falsely testify before Congress by inaccurately uh, describing your memory as, as being faulty. So just to wrap this up for everybody, uh, if, if in, in congressional testimony, don't say no. And if you absolutely can avoid it, uh, I don't recall is a lot better because it's really hard to prosecute somebody for lying if they said, I don't know, because your memory can always be jogged. Yes, with the qualification that there are prosecutions where individuals have said incredulously that they don't recall and that they were the prosecutors were able then to present evidence to say that that I don't recall was actually a lie. And you cannot, therefore, say with confidence, just keep saying, I don't recall, I don't recall, and you're off the hook. Because at one point, your alleged failure of recollection is going to be tantamount to an affirmative lie. I think what we've done here is stumble into exactly the problem that a lot of people have with Washington, because (laughs) this is making my head hurt. Uh, Michael, Alex, thank you for joining me on the Daily DC Impeachment Watch. And thanks to our listeners. We've got a new episode every weeknight. So please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or on your favorite podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a rating or a comment. It really does help people find the show. We'll see you tomorrow.
We all do things our own way. And since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number smart beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.